What's going on, everybody? This is your host, BJ Parker, and this is the Making the Turn Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This is another episode of Making the Turn, and I am your host, BJ Parker, and we're glad you're joining us. I say we all the time. I don't know why I keep doing that. It's just me. There's no nobody else here, but uh, glad I'm glad uh, that you're joining me. I uh, appreciate people listening. If this is your first time listening, thank you. appreciate it. We're, we're growing bigger than I could ever imagine, and it's a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun talking about golf and turf and the whole green industry, and today, I've got a really fun guest. I got a, I got a guy here who's going to bring a lot of information. Uh, he's, we've known each other for a while. He was a member of the, of the country club that I was a superintendent last at, and he was a supporter on the Greens Committee and some several things we were involved in, and I'm glad to reconnect him because I think he's going to bring a lot of value to guys who may be dealing with issues about member and uh, superintendent relations, so... Appreciate you joining me, Patrick Clark. Thank you, man. Thanks, BJ. Great to be here. Well, I appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks for uh, welcoming me into your home. It's lovely. We're out at the Grove again, so it's a it's becoming a popular spot. Yeah. Do you get to play much? I do. Uh, I try to play probably two times a week. Yeah. Uh, travel a good bit for my uh, for work, but uh, every opportunity I can. It's so convenient living out here to just be able to zip over and maybe it's three or four or eight holes at night uh, and then try to get a round in yeah. uh, on the weekends. What's the handicap at like right now? Uh, it's up to about six. So there was a time it was better than that. But You uh, used to be a baller. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, you'd have, I, I still would probably have to get strokes now. You could still hit it out there, but <laughs> getting it in the hole becomes the challenge at times. <laughs> so um, you're a member here at the Grove? Yes, have been uh, for about a year now. Yeah. And uh, what's your overall impression of the Grove? Well, uh, where do I start? I'll just start by saying it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing development. Um, we looked at it uh, probably back in about 2012 when it first uh, was coming into existence, changing over from Laurel Cove. Um, it felt a little bit risky in some ways. Uh, the vision was uh, really cool. Uh, and so now that risk element is gone yeah. because that vision has absolutely come to fruition. Uh, for the members, for the uh, uh, the golf course itself, phenomenal golf course, and uh, and just the neighborhood, uh, you know, the community. Um, that's one of the other things that really drove my family and myself here is, uh, um, you know, moving into my 50s, uh, an opportunity to just be part of a community beyond just golf. And yeah. uh, we're, we're thrilled with the first year that we've been here in the Grove. Well, it certainly is a beautiful place. I, I don't get to play as much anymore as I'd love to, but this is one of them that's um, a fun one to play. Uh, you've heard, you to, we talked before. You, you heard the podcast with Joe. Um, How did you think that went? I did. Uh, man, what, a, uh, what an industry leader he is and uh, just a wealth of knowledge. So uh, I thought it was pretty cool that he was able to share his insights with your listeners. Uh, yeah, we're, I, I, was, I was super shocked, but very thankful that Joe came on. He's a, he's a, 
I called him an icon, but he's someone we look up to in the industry, and a lot of lot of he's put a lot of information out there. He's got a lot of guys that he supports, and so I appreciate him coming on. and And um, I'm I'm excited to get a member's perspective of some of the things that go on in our industry, and hopefully um, you can shed a little pers- bit of perspective from your side about how things not only at here, but you've had you you know we were at Brentwood together and. You were um, out at the Hideaway for a little while, and some other golf courses that, and you've probably played golf just all you know all over. So yeah. you're, you're going to have a lot of perspective. So we're going to have fun with this, and I hope Thank you. people are going to dive in. So before we do all that, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to be around golf, where it, how it sort of uh, developed in your life, and yeah. some of your experiences with the game of golf, and sort of how you got to love it and and uh i think now you've sort of shared that with your kids and stuff so talk a little bit about all that yeah thank you um so i just turned 50 this year i've been playing golf and around golf for 38 years and uh started when i was 12 years old in a small town in uh, wisconsin um played through middle school high school Uh, i was the only one in my family of five and family of seven including my parents that uh took up the game of golf and it was pretty neat because after I did, it became a part of everybody's life in yeah. our family. Um, grew up very much in a public golf setting and uh, went to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Did not play on the golf team there. Had talked to the coach and the coach was very forthright with me and said, uh, <laughs> I know who you are and you have an opportunity to walk on, but uh, it's going to be golf and it's going to be golf only. And the chances that you ever have a chance of uh, seeing a match are few and far between, but if that's for you, come on. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and as a smart 18 year old, you know, that really wasn't what I was looking for, uh, heading off to a big 10 college. Uh, but shortly after college, I, I always had a love and a passion for the game and I actually enjoyed the business side of it and got my degree from university of Wisconsin, went into, um, uh, the PGA program immediately and got through at the time. There were two stages of, uh, well, there was a playing ability test, and then there were two stages of education. Zipped through that as quickly as I possibly could. Um, was an assistant golf professional at a uh, public golf course in Janesville, Wisconsin. And then uh, at age 25, I was working for a, uh, this would have been 1994, I guess, uh, when golf was just exploding. And, you know, golf course construction was just in the hundreds per year across yeah. the country. Um, Tiger Woods had come in, you know, right about that time and everybody was playing golf in the nineties, almost literally the explosion was amazing. Um, but I worked for a golf management company out of uh, Chicago and, uh, was given an incredible opportunity when I look back on it, age 25 to take over, uh, as a general manager and head PGA professional for, uh, a golf course, a public golf course, very busy, very solid golf course, just outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And um, just was living my dream and, uh, you know, my passion for for running the business. I quickly learned that uh, playing the game when you're in the business becomes uh, uh, much lower on the list of priorities if your focus is to really run a successful business. Yeah, I I find that um, being on the superintendent side, it was a way to improve the the course dynamics so I felt like and I played golf too I played college golf and I've, I've grown up around it and that sort of got me in the game but um, I felt like I viewed playing golf as a very important part of the, the job that I did and yeah. taking care of the golf course there was no way I could understand what a member or get, a customer was saying if I 
didn't experience it myself. And, you know, you you can chalk things up as opinions or comments and you, and we can debate that all we want about what's, what's what, but, you know, really if someone's saying something's, you know, bad out there or, or good or whatever, if good or bad, um, I really wanted to get firsthand on that. And I think that's big. I mean, it's harder to do on the, I, I know a lot of pros who don't get to play and um, you know, GMs especially, and that'd be both. That was probably pretty difficult. Um, did you, did you see that as an important part of the job or were you just not focused as much on, on playing? Um, the, f- I missed it originally, but I knew I had a job to do, which was to grow this business and yeah. to build a staff and to build a team. Um, but, Shortly thereafter, uh, it, there became a trade-off. Was I can either focus a lot on my game um, or very little, and it was easy to focus very little because the time to practice just wasn't there. Yeah. And you know, at that point, starting my career it was uh, uh, I missed it, but the passion really was for the business at the time. Yeah. But you do make an interesting comment about superintendents and those that play the game. Um, and I think that you just can't put a price tag on how much that enhances their understanding of what it's like for the members, or in our case, for the public golfers, um, and what it's like for the golf pro that's trying to operate a golf course and uh, run a business and, and build revenue. And both when I was an assistant and as a GM and head pro, the superintendents that I worked with did not play. And uh, that created some, let's say, interesting dynamics at, yeah. at certain times. Can you talk sure. a little bit about that? I mean, for, you don't have to give names or anything, but yeah. just tell, talk a little bit about your interaction from that perspective. Yeah, um, I'll talk about that. But then I, as I look back in, uh, with 2020 vision, you know, you, you learn a few things. Um, sure. So when, especially, you know, these golf courses in Wisconsin, uh, limited, limited number of days a year to play golf and you know there's there's an opportunity where the superintendent is uh, understandably so focused on the green grass and making sure that the the facility is as prime and as perfect every single day but then that weighs against the need for revenue quite frankly and the need to run a business and and I said in 2020 looking back I see, you know, whether it was yourself or I know you had Joe Kennedy on recently and I've known other superintendents that also are golfers. Um, they just have a different, unique understanding in my experience. Right. I know that's not necessarily fair to stereotype every non-golfing superintendent that way. But in my experience, at least, those that do have some level of play don't necessarily have to play to the highest ability. But I've just witnessed where the dynamic between the operation of the golf course and the green grass just seems to go better. And when that, that dynamic is solid, trust me, the members benefit from it because uh, I've seen it now on different sides being, being in a couple different clubs as a member. Yeah, you know, it's always a delicate balance for me to say that playing was, a, was important to me and it may not have been important to someone else because there are a lot of good superintendents that just don't play. Absolutely. And they, but they know what they're doing. And, right. and I think they have a – where they develop a, a real keen sense of understanding of what their customers or members are talking about. And so they, they're able to sort of develop that in a different way than going out and banging balls or seeing how everything's playing. They might have a guy on their staff that does it. They might have uh, a good um, 
a relationship with the pro, and and so they feel like that they can uh, trust their opinions and talk about things. So, as much as I believe it's important, I get you. There's not. There, it's just hard to say that it's the most important thing. I just felt like it was for me. It, it sort of gave me. Uh, a, a little bit more validity to what I was saying and seeing and doing, yeah. or I could talk uh, uh, some a member off a ledge about something or, yeah. or something that, you know, because I felt it and I knew. I didn't just think it was just made up or hogwash. Yeah, absolutely. So um, are, are you, when did you get out of the business? So that was uh, 2002. Yeah. And uh, I was still living in Wisconsin at the time. Um, couple of things happened, really. Um, I hate to say it, but for a period there, I kind of lost my passion for the game. Yeah. And uh, loved the business, but lost the passion for the game. And uh, although we had a lot of success uh, financially and um, operationally at this uh, club where I was, I spent about a year doing what I called informational interviews, reaching out to multiple people in multiple different industries around, uh, in this time, around the Milwaukee area. And, you know, really um, had two small children at the time. My twins were about two years old. My wife was working for the Milwaukee Brewers at the time, and we were getting babysitters to work on uh, so we could work on weekends. And <laughs> <laughs> Golf was back, back of the... It was in the background. Yeah, it was. And uh, candidly, uh, it didn't pay a whole lot back yeah. in uh, in the 90s. And in some cases, I, I know that's still the case today relative yeah. to the value it brings. Um, but long story short, I moved into private business uh, back in 2002. And with that company, relocated here to Middle Tennessee in uh, 2006. And uh, that's about the time you and I, I think, first got to know each other. Yeah, I was, uh, when did I go to Brentwood? 2004? I think it was 2004. I was there from two, 11 years, 2004 to 2015. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was a unique perspective for me. It was the first time that I had joined a club as a private member. And uh, I didn't let anybody know about my background, quite frankly. I just wanted to be a guy. I just wanted to be a golfer. Yeah. Um, I was an okay golfer, you know, I mean, not uh, club champion type status, and I was okay with that, um, but still loved it and loved to compete. And, uh, uh, but just had, you know, great, great experiences there. I, I saw firsthand the dynamic that you had with um, the leadership there at Brentwood Country Club, and uh, I think the members were served well from that. Yeah, I feel like that I left it better than I, than I found it, and that's not saying that it was in bad shape to begin with, yeah. but... You know, I had an eight-year run at the Golf Club of Tennessee, and I was ready for another experience. And and uh, I had a great time at Brentwood. I felt like it was a, a great place to hone my skills and do a lot of good things and met a lot of great people and, right. you know, and still have relationships with a lot of them. And hate the way it ended, but that's the way it goes. I mean, this is that bit, that's that business, you know, and, and uh, we all we all just kind of pick ourselves up and go. So, but um so what is your – do you have tournament experience? Do you, did you get to play a lot of tournament golf? Yeah, I did a good bit when I was an assistant pro yeah. more so um, and through high school. Uh, played at a pretty high level in high school. I, uh, I grew up just nearby and two years behind Steve Stricker and Jerry Kelly. So played in a lot oh, of yeah. tournaments uh, with those guys. Um, and it's just been pretty neat to be able to see how they've had the careers that they've had coming from, you know, a place like Wisconsin. It's nearly unheard yeah. of. Andy North, but uh, yeah. other than that, for these guys to have had, especially Jerry Kelly, who was predominantly a uh, hockey player 
and a decent high school golfer and a decent college, but, you know, just he's a guy that uh, I heard Zach Radford on your podcast recently, and in some ways there's a similar mindset there, which is just this determination, and that's that's what made Jerry Kelly the player he is. I mean, if anybody has seen him play, sure. he didn't have the most beautiful swing, but the determination that that guy had. Um, so I did play competitively um, for a period, and really until I was about 25, and then the game kind of took a slide when I got into the business full 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 throttle. Yeah. So let's let's kind of transition to the business side of things for a little bit and talk about some of your experiences you've had uh, sort of later in life now that you've gotten out of the business. Because I, I want to come back to some of it and um, maybe talk about um, your life as a pro and some of that. But when we met and and you 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 said you kind of kept to yourself about that. I kind of picked up a little bit on you had a you had a, a real passion for the course before the way that things were going. Um, you I find that some guys have a tendency to kind of not want to say everything they want to say because they don't want to overstep their bounds and in committee situations there's a lot of people with a lot of thoughts. Yeah. But <laughs> talk about your experience either with me on a committee or if you've had other experiences that sort of op- was eye-opening or if was there anything that um, you felt was kind of not right or that didn't go the way you wanted or or how did you approach being in those uh, specifically on the golf and greens committee because yeah. you might have served on other committees and that's not this type of podcast no no I was asked to serve on I don't know maybe the pool committee or yeah. something I said that's not my passion <laughs> I'm so interested in that but I was excited to spend a few terms or a few years if you will on uh, the greens committee um, that was a very unique dynamic and for me you're right it was uh, um, I learned a lot about just how people interact within a club and blowing that out a little bit, I guess probably the biggest thing that I learned was there tend to be um, some factions that uh, maybe at times are self-serving. So maybe there's some self-serving interests, quite frankly, and and I don't mean that to disparage anyone, but it's just a just kind of an honest observation. I just think it's typical for every place. I mean, it's yeah. typical in some organizations, whether it be golf or business or whatever. Right. I mean, I just it sort of is a mirror of what reality is. Well, it is, and you know the the committees oftentimes um, are a broad cross section of a membership. Sure, as well it should be. But when you have that, it, is, it can be very difficult to gain consensus. So if we have a female or two, and then we have a senior or two, and then we have a real good player or two, and then we have a guy that just you know, wants to come out and enjoy the game, yeah. uh, the perspectives all tend to be very different, which is, I think, ideal. Uh, you want to have those differing perspectives. Um, and then sometimes it becomes, well, who hollers loudest in the room? <laughs> who has the loudest voice? Uh, and is most persuasive because the personalities then come into play. Right. And if you have somebody who is, uh, you know, very comfortable and confident being front and center with their opinion, and if you have other folks who are just wired to maybe stand down in that kind of a scenario, even though that person that's standing down maybe has the best opinion, <laughs> but, but just kind of goes along to get along, yeah. you just see these kinds of dynamics and I thought we did some good things. Um, it, you know, unfortunately, uh, it was the 500-year flood back yeah. in, uh, was it 2010, I guess? Sure. And so we had to, you know, we lost a couple holes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we brought in a 
a fine architect that I know you work closely with. And um, so the Greens Committee, you know, we, we got some good projects done, but in some ways, um, it also, at times it felt a little unfulfilling too, because you would have these competing factions, you know, looking out for maybe the best interest of their segment in the club. Uh, and I think that's probably pretty typical of clubs, fair? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, just being candid, I, I feel like that setup in that situation, having committees, especially if they meet on a regular basis, have a difficult time getting anything really accomplished. Um, you can make small incremental improvements, and there can be things that are done, um, action plans that are fulfilled, but it, it's really relative on a small um, basis. Uh, and where I see better uh, examples of this is where either people are in positions where it's one guy making all the decisions or a group of people in a position for a long period of time. Because in, in that cross-section of people that are in a position for a long period of time has the best interest of the membership or the club or the course in mind. And so they they tend to ha they tend to have a more driven focus towards the, a greater goal. Mm -hmm. And when you have committees who change year after year or chairmen that I mean I went I was at Brentwood for 11 years and I went through this will give you an inch. I was as I was there 11 years. I had six different greens chairmen. I was at the Golf Club of Tennessee for 8 years. I dealt with one person. So, <laughs> and you know that I mean totally I'm not I'm not comparing dynamics, the two yeah. golf courses but it's just two different deals. And we met, we still met, we, but we met on a quarterly basis at Golf Club of Tennessee. And you, if you're going to meet three months down the road, you better, better get something done in that meeting. And so that was, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. That's the way a lot of country clubs do. But I just feel like it's difficult to uh, really get things accomplished. And so you feel like you're spinning your wheels a little bit. And specifically if you're looking towards bigger goals, long-term projects, long-term planning, strategic planning, um, the, the executive level staff, the, the, head, the head superintendent, the, the GM, the golf pro, those are the guys that have the long-term vision for a course, and they should be the ones spearheading. So even if you have people rotating, to, rotating in and out, if those guys stay there and, and fulfill the long-term goals and, the, and they sell it to the people that are coming in. It really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But I think where you're talking about is, is that you get a lot of people that want to see something that they want to have happen yeah. for their own, you know, purpose. And that's where I think the committee dynamic is tough. Well, and I agree. I, I, to me, the best commit, the best role for somebody on a committee to play is that of advisory. That's my own personal opinion. I, I totally agree. I never felt like I was the expert. Now, I did have some unique perspectives, like we talked about at the beginning, but I didn't feel like I was the expert in the room. And I felt honored to have an opportunity maybe to give some advice, you know, to be an advisor. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't going to get into the details if the tree on... Uh, 12, you know, has a branch that's clipping a little too far over the left side of the green and right. probably should be cut down because, you know, some portion of the club can't hit it up over that branch. <laughs> yeah. And these were, you know, some of the passionate type of discussions we'd get into that uh, um, I just never, I, but what I was going to add to that was, um, I think, you know, maybe in hindsight, 
for these committees, a Greens committee particularly, it's probably important that the role in the, is defined. What is the role of those members that are on the committee? And if I was to, you know, make a suggestion looking back on it, I was asked, hey, you know, for whatever reason, you know, would you be on this committee? I said, sure, I'd love to have an opportunity just to, you know, be per further part of the club. But I was never given any um, roadmap for maybe what my role sure. is. And maybe the clubs that do that the best, you know, almost a little bit of a job description. Like, here's the role that, as a member of this committee, you are to play. You know, we value your opinions, want your opinions, et cetera. Um, but I don't remember having that, and that might have been beneficial. Yeah, I don't recall if – I know we did some orientation, um, but we, we probably didn't or, wor or weren't specific enough about what the overall objectives were for each individual member or committee member. We sort of, we sort of glossed over that. And, and, you know, and it's probably gotten better. I mean, I, like I told you before, I, was, I went out there – just the other day, it's been a couple of weeks ago, and I was very impressed with the improvements and the club's doing fine. And, you know, and um, so they're, they're, they're making strides. I just, you know, structurally and internally, you know, I don't know if that's changed a whole lot, but I do agree with you that um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation where members, if they have an idea about what they're going, uh, what, what the objectives are, what the agenda is, what are the things that we want to try to accomplish, then those, it doesn't really matter who rolls in and out. The, the values of the people will get uh, addressed and talked about. And the overall decision-making process will go a lot smoother. Yeah, it, right. And I say that not so much as a reflection on a specific committee that maybe I was a part of, but yeah. maybe if any of your listeners are struggling with commu committees, um, maybe that's you know something to consider or to look at. Well, I... That's a good point because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have that discussion was because um, although not all clubs are set up the same and every club is different, I mean, private club, public, um, what have you, they, they, their organization deals with things and makes decisions differently. But it's, I feel like that at some point it's either a conversation between decision makers on the staff and members and or people who are going to ultimately be advised or advising the overall clientele or membership on what's going on, those people all need to get together and figure it out. And so this information, while it might not be a committee, uh, we could just be two people talking. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a way to deal with things and make sure that they're streamlining their decision-making process. And um, while I think committees can work, I think there's a um, – I have a little bit less of a of a way of expressing myself that it's the best way. Um, well, I have. I don't know if that makes sense, but it I mean, does. just I, kind of my overall feeling of having dealt with two different scenarios. So, just in my twelve, thirteen years here in the Nashville area, um, I've been a part of three different clubs, and each of them operated exceptionally different one from the next. And uh, so, you know, I have had a unique perspective in in. The last two clubs, no committees. They didn't exist. They don't exist. Um, of course, in the case of Hideaway, you know, there were some uh, uh, significant changes there just in terms of uh, ownership structure. But here at the Grove, um, you know, the developer is somebody that has been in and around the game of golf and more than that, developing successful communities for many, many years sure. and uh, has a vision and has experience that works. 
And I will tell you, um, at a recent uh, homeowners meeting or property owners association meeting, someone did raise their hand and said, you know, we think that we need more representation and there should be some committees here at, uh, at the Grove. And uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, you I know, know how that went. <laughs> right. It, it, uh, they give us money back. <laughs> it created some reactions in the room yeah. and there's some in favor and then there's some that aren't. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'll just say, you know, I'm sure not everybody agrees with every decision that every leader makes. I mean, that's sure. just, you just have to know that, that that is going to be the case and I'm no different. Yeah. But um, in this case, uh, you know, he was pretty clear. He said, we're not going to do committees. Now, you know, I thought he had a good comeback that said, I'll meet you for breakfast, for coffee, you know, anytime you want. You and, you know, your group that you, no problem. We'll talk it all through. But committees in this individual's experience just hadn't been as successful as, um, you know, a small group of experts yeah. that own the decision. And, uh, uh for my money, it's 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 been it's worked out well as well. Certainly here it has. Well, th- and that's that's my kind of my thing is is that you've got a guy here. Uh, maybe it's just a couple of people, but they're the ones making the decisions, and they have a clear vision of where they want to see things go, and a, an understanding of how they're going to get there. And and while they're not opposed to having a conversation, they're not going to allow people outside of that to sort of influence the decision-making when they feel like it, overall it's in the best interests of everybody. And they've created a great place here. I mean, yeah. it's just it just works. I mean, it, yeah. did it go through struggles and difficult times? And, and that was just more about real estate and a lot of other things. But it's, it's uh, stood up, and it's in its really great place. And I think uh, you've landed at a great spot, and I know it's, it's going to be a great spot in Middle Tennessee for a long time. Well, and that's what you said I think is a key, too, that uh, – I do feel like uh, the interests of the the community is at its first and foremost, yeah. and uh, uh, I've seen a number of examples of that. And so it's uh, it's been a good, you know, it's been a good fit at this point. So what do you what are your thoughts as, from a member's perspective uh, about the interaction between the superintendent? and sort of how things go from that perspective. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, again, I have, you know, a more unique perspective, I think, than, or not perspective, but a more unique experience, set of experiences than many members because I was involved in the industry for a long time. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I have lived through what it's like to have to, you know, have the best turf conditions possible, yet run a business, you know, I mean, there's revenue expectations that have to come with it too. And I think because of those experiences, those sets of experiences for me, I tend to be probably a little more patient than maybe some, um, relative to, you know, what I view as kind of small issues or problems that you might see or a little patch of a certain green that is struggling. Um, okay. You know, you got bad luck that you hit it right in that one little quadrant of the green this one time, but um, it's being a part of a club is unique in that um, I do think that the clubs should work on behalf of the members, but the members have to be reasonable in their expectations. And um, those members that tend to have reasonable expectations 
uh, tend to be the happiest members, quite frankly. Right. Um, those that maybe have unrealistic or unreasonable expectations, and um, those tend to be the ones that maybe complain a little bit the loudest. One of the other perspectives I've learned is what's the budget that the uh, superintendent is allowed to work with? And um, that's huge. Yeah. So, you know, somebody might come and play a golf course across the, uh, the other side of town from where their usual course is, whether it's public or whether it's private. And maybe they go to a private club that has um, a budget that is, you know, whatever percentage higher than what they're used to at their home club. And they may come back and just uh, not realize the impact that that has on the turf conditions and just the overall appearance of the facility. Um, and I've seen that, yeah. you know, quite a bit. And I know you've probably have lived it, yeah. I would guess. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, hey, you know, this is, we, everybody wants to be the best of the best and have the best conditions, but it's at a price. Yeah. The budget's an interesting one because locally um, we have a handful of clubs, private clubs here in Middle Tennessee, and they all, you know, relatively high end i would say um there there are certainly different levels when you boil it down but you know the experience that i've had is exactly what you talked about you want to temper the expectations relative to how much money you have to spend and the some of the hardest conversations i would have would be someone would go play down the road that the budget for that course was significantly higher than the budget for the course that, that I had. And they would want the same conditions. And, and I just, you know, without like sounding like you're just coming off as, you know, Hey, I'm woe is me. You had to sort of understand that, look, this is, this is the, the level that we were providing was relative to what we were spending. And, could we do things differently? Sure. Could we could we maybe look at things a different way? Sure. But for the way it is right now and for the budget to be approved and for the projects that are laid out, this is the this was the route we could go. And when you get to the higher end clubs, it really it really comes down to the details. Every, every our greens were good. They're everybody great. everybody's greens were, you know, when you start talking about the T's fair kind of what I call up the middle maintenance. That looks like you can compare that anywhere, mm -hmm. but it's all the detail stuff, the accessories, the edges, the, the unique, uh, maybe some different grassing types and, the, and you know, upgrades to irrigation, sort of uh, what some of the landscaping looks like, whatever. That's where you, you notice it, and you notice it really firsthand. When, when, and you start seeing that budget, bit, that's where the difference comes in. And yeah. so I, I had a hard time trying, and I did multiple comparisons with, just local clubs and, and saying, okay, this is where they spend and this is where we spend and what, what do you think we lack? You know, we're going to spend the money where we need to and then we're going to try to tackle these other little projects, but we have less to do with than they do. Well, and that doesn't even take into account things like uh, the winter of 20, not this past winter, not uh, current winter 2019, but the winter of 2018 a year ago. And, uh, I just remember how cold and dry it was, and there was a lot of lost turf um, here and at a lot of local Middle Tennessee clubs. 
they brought in truckloads and truckloads of new sod here. Yeah. That's a budget buster right out of the gate in March and in April. Yeah. And then if there's a club that doesn't have that uh, in the budget, let's say, or the ability to recuperate that to their bottom line, now it goes back to what we talked about. Okay, the club's still got to make money, or at least it you know, has to achieve what it has to achieve right. financially. Um, so that just the daily budget's one thing, but uh, you know, that's just an example where we played around other courses and uh, people would say, my gosh, you know, their fairways are terrible out here. And it's like, well, you know, what maybe you're not realizing is remember how bad the winter was. Yeah. And, and not, not everybody has your perspective. And I think it's, it's difficult because not everybody has your perspective. You kind of feel the pain of the things we, we deal with mother nature. I mean, it's just the yeah. bottom line and, and she throws you a curveball every year. It's whether it's the, <laughs> a rough winter, uh, too much rain in the summer, uh, high disease pressure. You're, and, and, you're familiar with we're in the transition zone of what yeah. we call, uh, you know, it's not, it's really not too cold. It's not too hot. You know, it's kind of in this kind of gray area of managing. There's no one perfect grass. Yeah. You know, we got some courses that have bent grass, you know, green specifically. But, and so we, we're just kind of, we're just kind of all over the place yeah. and it's difficult, man. It, um, well, it's hard to grow a yard <laughs> in middle Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, I've had times in December where my yard has looked never better yeah. because the conditions, you know, cool weather grasses. But everybody wants to, like myself, keep the Bermuda out of the out of the fescue, and it just you just can't do it. So it's hard on hard on golf courses. You know, just the other night here, um, we had that cold front, and I think uh, the predicted low was 25 degrees. And I played on Saturday, and it was 75. And um, you know, the, uh, the zoysia was starting to pop through. Sure. You could start to see some growth. And maybe there's just the old long-ago operator in me looked at that 25, and I thought, gosh, I wonder what that's going to do to, you know, that burgeoning growth, that turf that's trying to grow through. Yep. Um, I think we did okay. But uh, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unique. To, it's outside. Like it, you said, yeah. they, these clubs aren't, they aren't domed. <laughs> no, and... It's a unique challenge, especially around here, to sort of deal with um, what, you know, I mean, you just said a 50-degree weather change, I mean, in, in, in a matter of days. I mean, that's that's just crazy. I mean, it, it it's hard to deal Overnight. with. It's hard to plan yeah. for. And, you know, if you're battling warm season greens and, you're, and what you're wanting to do as far as making sure that they make it through recovery, green up, spring transition – because around here, I mean, basically, this is like the most critical time. It is the most critical time that I would say of making sure that things go well for you. You got you got grasses that are greening up. You got greens that are wanting to do their thing. They've been covered, uh, you know, um, so they've been protected through the pretty harshness of the winter. And everything's kind of looking good. And then you've got um, what I call the master's effect. And, and everybody, you know, the golf, especially if you're golfers, as soon as the best you know, good day get, you know, you just think everything should be green and ready to go, and that's just not the way it happens. And yeah. and so, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you just you you find yourself sodden when you don't want to, and deal, dealing with things, and that hits a that hits home on the budget, and it's hard to swallow. It's kind of like you know owning a house and air conditioner going out. You just didn't plan for it. Well, you're right, and I've got a in my business today. I've got a sales team that I lead. And one of the keys that I just try to 
focus on oftentimes is over communication and or just communication in general um, you know communication is key in anything we do that helps us to be successful in any industry any profession that we're in yep. and those clubs or golf pros or GMs or superintendents that have an ability to communicate with its members tend to be I think in a better position than those that maybe haven't embraced, you know, broad communications. Um, and there's so many different platforms now. You know, I see some of the local superintendents I follow on Twitter and I see them communicating and I, I think, well, that's smart. You know, it's, yeah. hopefully all of their membership is tuned into their Twitter page. I know that's not, you know, following them on Twitter. I know that's probably not yeah. the case, but uh, communication can just help eliminate um, the rumor mill. It can help eliminate uh, kind of like I said, you know, the loudest guy, the loudest member in the room that, yeah. uh, you know, builds uh, builds an army behind him. And uh, uh, it's just, I think it's a it's a big opportunity in any business, including this industry. Well, it's def- it goes without saying that in, communicating in, on our end is something that's hugely important to just making sure that we're getting the message across to the membership because... It, a lot of times people just don't know or they don't have an understanding about what's going on. I wrote a, a week, a monthly article in a newsletter. Nowadays, it's a, like you said, it's a whole lot easier. I would, I would certainly, if I was a superintendent now, and I, and I, do, a lot, I do quite a bit. I mean, I've started this podcast. I, <coughs> I, I have my own website that I'm trying to, to blog about. And, and so I'm just trying to get information out there on a to sort of provide value in an industry that I grew up in. But I would certainly, if I was a superintendent, be doing all of those things. I know I've talked to, like, you know, I've talked to superintendents just not in, not interested in doing social media and some things, but there's other ways, you know, there's to do ways, that. Yeah. Um, but certainly the younger guys, um, guys that have grown up in sort of that industry and sort of that uh, time frame, I would I would be over-communicating and, and, and putting out things there just to allow the membership to kind of know what's going on, understand. There's guys, I, I don't know how many superintendents you follow or guys in the business, but there's a lot of them that are doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then there's some that, that you just don't ever hear from. And, you know, and, hey, to each their own. But um, it's, it's, I, think, I think you're right in our business. Over-communicating is, is certainly uh, better than under-communicating. Well, it's a chance to educate. Yeah. And uh, I know that just in my experience, I guess, you know, there are some superintendents that um, maybe feel like they don't have the voice that they want or have earned or deserve, Um, but it's an opportunity to do that is, you know, through whatever means of communication, if it's posting something in the men's locker room or a daily or weekly email. Uh, We used to have years ago, I looked forward to your communication, which was, I think, just a a monthly thing in the the letter, but... um, you just learn a lot about that, and yeah. it you know can help open up uh, folks' eyes. So, what do you think about um, the use of social media in terms of? Um, I see, I see a lot of, I see a lot of different things. I see, I see some good, I see some bad, and I don't know if I want to get into a lot of the bad, but because I, I I have an opinion about it, but I see a lot of guys sort of talking about the processes that are going on in the golf course. I see uh, maybe cart pass status. Um, where do you see that in terms of importance and where do you see that maybe going towards the future? Do you have any thoughts on 
I mean, because you, you and I are both active on, on Twitter, at least, and social media, and I, I just think that's a great place <laughs> to be. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody has a different take on how they want to use social media, in my mind. Um, I use Twitter largely for people I want to follow and for news. And then I've got a, I'm a big sports fanatic, yeah. so I've got a couple of sports teams that I'll have opinions on or, uh, you know, opinions on golf and try not to put tweets out there that are, you know, just a waste of somebody's time. Um, but I get a little overpassionate myself. Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's amazing the reach, I guess, yeah. you know, that Twitter can have uh, or Instagram. And I'm not much for Facebook, but uh, uh, there's just so many opportunities. And, uh, you know, it's for me, it's been just a new technology to try to embrace. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people that, you know, are of my similar age that don't, and that's fine. I mean, I don't judge anybody differently sure. because of that. But for me, I just, I just always want to keep getting better. I just want to keep educating on myself on, you know, what, what it is out there. And that's one, one example. Um, you just, you know, you just don't want to get stagnant uh, yeah. relative to opportunities to communicate. Yeah, I, I tend to, see, I have a, I have a personal page that I really kind of both of them really Twitter and Instagram I'm most um, active on but I, I sort of realize I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and mm -hmm. and one of the one of the best information or one of the best sort of things I heard one guy say was he said they like people follow people they don't really follow a particular business or thing they follow they want to they want to be interested in people and so as I as I as I thought about that, learned about it, I can I can post something about work, and then I can post something about family. And I can post something about things that you know I'm doing, like to do or enjoy, and that's just who I am. And and, and it's not necessarily focused on one thing. And and I see guys that are in our industry, they they do that as a personal page, but their personal page might only be. 90% work and then maybe a little sprinkle of what their lives are like. And I, I'm not so sure that's the best thing because a lot of people just want to get to know you. They want to get to know who you are, what kind of things yeah. you like. And, and I know, and you make him speak about this from a, from a, per, a private business standpoint. And I preach to my kids a lot about it. It's like, Hey, this is going to be your resume. You might fill out an official resume, but what you're doing in your, you know, Twitter life and Instagram life, that's who they're going to go find to see if, if they want to even be a part yeah. you, you to be a part of their organization. And I, and I, and I strongly believe that. And, and, and so not that I wouldn't go down the road of doing some controversial things or saying things that, you know, having an opinion one way or another, I tend to avoid those just for this, that one little thing that it, it I, I'll talk privately to someone about certain things, but um, I just, I, I think my kids don't understand that yet. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm, and to sort of land the plane on all that, I think that there's guys out there who can, who can use their platform in our industry a little bit better, um, and not, not necessarily do things, but, but let people know you, let people uh, kind of feel who you are. What do you like to do? Because, um, we develop just, we're just humans. We develop an opinion about someone before we ever get to know them. And I just think that that's a great platform to do that. Yeah. You know, you brought up uh, a resume in essence and, and just personal experience with my daughter. Um, 
as she was playing softball and was, you know, going through a recruitment process. That was one of the big things that all coaches would tell all these prospects was um, what you, we go first to your, we know if you're a good enough player, but then we immediately go to your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, you know, they're all open platforms. And that tells a story of who you are as sure. a person. And uh, some folks with great talent just uh, end up get, not getting recruited for that purpose. So there's some truth to that. But uh, it's not for everybody. Um, no. But, again, you know, I think just for me personally, it's just I was trying to learn. I mean, why, why close my mind to something? Yeah. Do you find this – I mean, you're not much older than me. Do you, did you find that you hard to gravitate towards it? No, it, no. Just – I was a very, very early adopter of Twitter because I'm a sports and a news junkie. Yeah. And I have probably somewhat <laughs> limited attention spans. Yeah. Um, so that was a great way for me to get out there and follow some folks or some news agencies or uh, athletics, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, no, I've, I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, do, you find, do you find the news to be intriguing? Um, or what, 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 are, what sort of things do you um, use Twitter? I mean, the, the news can always be kind of shaky in, at times, but I, I, I'm like you. I tend to, I tend to um, say, you know, look at things from that perspective and read it and slough it off. I don't really get into too much. I just read it and kind of go. Yeah. I will never, ever comment on anything. I, I have many times where I want to. But. I, I actually enjoy the interactions. Yeah. Um, as long as they're reasonable, I think what I have on my uh, Twitter profile is something to the effect of reasonable takes. And, yeah. and that's, uh, I don't ever get too far right or too far left. Yeah. And I don't talk politics. <laughs> if, no. if somebody's out there in politics, I usually just unfollow them because yeah. I don't go on Twitter for that. And that's what I like about Twitter. You can control the information coming in. Sure. And my Twitter feeds have largely moved towards golf. Yeah. And uh, whether it's national or local uh, personalities, um, you know, Twitter can be, it's, it, people can take it way too seriously. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've had, I've had fun conversations about the whole social media, especially with Zach a few podcasts ago. And, and uh, it's just, it, it's here to stay, man. It's, 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 it's in your business and my business, we use it. Um, it's a great tool used properly, I think it's, you know, it's phenomenal. Who knows what it's going to yeah. be like down the road, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, just, uh, there's, I was thinking back to, you know, 20 years ago um, when I was operating that golf course in Milwaukee, and we used to take out uh, print ads, you yeah. know, in the local Milwaukee Journal sports, uh, maybe an off-time off coupon or, you know, whatever the case yeah. was that we were trying to promote. And it just dawned on me recently, recently, I bet nobody has to do that anymore. There's so many better ways yeah. to reach your target audience yep. instead of being so broad. And uh, um, So circling back to um, being a professional, um, and the... Did you give up your card? How did that process go? Did you just have to give it up, and and did you do you regret not trying to keep that, or how how was it to get your amateur status back? Yeah, no, uh, I did. I gave it up. I don't regret it. Um, I had a great run as yeah. a PGA member. I think I was a PGA member for, gosh, nine or ten years. Um, but moving into private business has created a whole new set of just great experiences and challenges. And it's allowed me to regain my passion for the game yep. 
as an amateur. And one of the greatest joys I have today is uh, my 14-year-old son that's been playing golf now just for three years. Um, he's he, what did he say to me about a month ago? He said, Dad, I, I think I got the bug because yeah. somebody had asked him at one time, do you have the bug for the game? And he <laughs> didn't really know what that was and kind of came to realize he did. And uh, um, no, I don't regret it. It was easy to get back. I yeah. think it, you had to sit on the sidelines for two years maybe as an amateur. But I didn't play golf for the first five years of my second career. Yeah. Um, so just raising family. So that was, that was easy to do. Well, that was going to be my question. Did you... Um, did you sort of push your son? Tell me again what your son's name was. Uh, Grant. Grant. Um, didn't push him at all. In fact, uh, when we were at Brentwood, um, he'd come out on occasion. Yeah. And uh, uh, probably if the beer cart was out, not that he was looking for beer, but uh, <laughs> the, the Gatorade cart sure. was out or the yeah. snack, the candy bar cart. Um he was playing every other sport, you yeah. know. And uh, so, again, when uh, there was a period there just a few years ago when, again, I wasn't playing golf. And I was okay with that. I mean, yeah. just raising family. That time goes so quickly. Um, and then about, I guess it was 2016, so three years ago right now, uh, we had moved down on, you know, the south side of Franklin. And Hideaway became uh, an opportunity. And I really hadn't played in three years. And... Uh, Thanks to my wife, very encouraging. And I asked Grant, you know, if we were to do this, do you want to try golf again? And yeah. he did. And uh, uh, in just three years, like I said, he's got the bug. He's uh, committed to it. And uh, it's just so valuable. You know, the game gave me so much. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, to your question, I do not push it on him. Uh, he has a goal of playing at a very high level. Um, I say, you know, let's just enjoy the ride, and uh, it goes where it goes. Yeah. And Division Three golf is <laughs> maybe just as good as Division One golf in some ways. Uh, but hey, I mean, he's he's in eighth grade, so he's got a lot of time to figure all that out. Well, just keep him practicing, keep him keep him enjoying it, making it fun, and don't make it too serious. Uh, he's got a certainly he's got a great facility to to work and practice, and and um, you know. If he if he sticks with it and he finds that passion and then yeah I mean if he gets an education out of it that and that's all that happens then great you know well we're dealing with uh, over practice right now yeah <laughs> that he, wear, he wears it out on the range yeah. and uh, he had a lesson last Friday afternoon came home Friday night hit balls for about two hours spent all day Saturday on the range and he had an event on Sunday and yeah. we went down uh, towards Shelbyville. Uh, cold as can be Sunday morning, if you recall, and he had six balls on the range and he could barely swing a golf club. Yep. And uh, we gutted it through 18 holes. And <laughs> uh, he, he referenced Tiger Woods. He said, what did he do? He broke a leg. I said, yeah, you don't have a broken leg, but you're still gutting it out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Man, I miss those days of playing, just banging balls all the time. I hadn't played in so long. I want to get back out there and do it. But uh, So... What advice would you give someone in your position as a member or about to, we get a lot of people that listen to this, believe it or not, that, and, and I think there's a lot more just casual listeners, a lot of guys in the industry, but I, I kind of want to know what your perspective is on what, would, what advice would you give someone, because we talked a little bit about the dynamics of a committee or being a member at a club. What advice would you give them if you could go back and, talk to yourself over again or talk to someone that's in your position that 
maybe will help them kind of deal with whether they're on a committee, talking to an individual, talking to the super or, or golf pro. Um, you got any thoughts about um, what what you might do differently or say to them? Sure, I do. Um, <clears throat> expectations are key. Yeah. And so I think it's critically important um, to set expectations and the scope of the role. To do that up front very clearly. And the expectations, um, in my mind, cut both ways. So in those committees, there tend to be the superintendent and the golf pro or maybe the general manager or maybe the owner. You know, the owner of the golf course maybe is sure. open and willing to having committees. So there's the expectations of them and what their role should be. And I think it's just critical that that's communicated. And then for those that are invited to come in as, um, as members in an advisory role, laying out very clearly what are, what are the expectations. And at some point in time, during, as some of those meetings go, somebody has to stand up and be the leader of the group, perhaps, and say, wait a minute, you know, what we're talking about is out of scope. And so let's reel this dialogue back in and uh, you know, stay within scope. Sometimes easier said than done, sure. I recognize. Um, but I just think about, you know, in my business, just leading meetings and, you know, having clear agendas going in uh, is critically important. And then sticking to an agenda, but also knowing when to say, okay, you know, we've heard it and uh, taking it under advisement and maybe we'll table that, yeah. you know, put that in the parking lot. We'll come back to that later in case may be. Um, seems fairly straightforward, I guess, to me, somewhat obvious, but maybe there's an opportunity there, you know, in, in some clubs that uh, could just kind of step back and look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I, I appreciate your thoughts on that. I, I, I just, I've never seen myself as a commit, you know, I've, I've never joined a club. I, I don't know that perspective, but I, I've worked with so many different members. I've, I've had so many interactions with all walks of people, different, you know, whether it be level play, playing ability levels, women, children, you know, all you name it, and it's just you, you, you get a lot of perspective on what because nobody, I felt like nobody knew how much I, how passionate I was about what I wanted to accomplish, mm -hmm. and nobody had any higher expectations than I did, and and whenever I felt like that someone was challenging that, I had. I had a pretty, I had, I've been in some pretty, I've been in some clubs that, you know, you just have to be politically down the middle. You just, you know, temper your, Thick I skin, can't get too hot, can't get too cold. You can't get, you can't let something burn you too bad. But at the same time, you got to be able to communicate and talk to uh, the individual and either talk them off a ledge or tell them why you can't do something or just having, because uh, I had multiple conversations with people. And so um, as, as, as important as I think the information that we're talking about today about how the membership member dynamic between our industry and the golfer is because from a member's perspective, that's completely different than say a head pro you've kind of done all of those things. So you, I hope that when people hear this, that they listen and say, this guy's been a GM, he's been a head pro. And now he's a member at some pretty, you know, several different clubs and and not while they're not going to encounter that individual hardly ever at any of their, their, their that members, not, you, you're probably like a unicorn when it comes to our guys on our side of the industry. But I'm just saying that they, they have to, they have to kind of understand that um, 
like you said, the expectations are important that how you deal with each individual person is, is key. And this information is, is critical to over, understand the overall objective of what a golf course or, or club is trying to accomplish. And I hope that pros who hear this, GMs who hear this, owners, whatever, um, that they really kind of take a look at their, you know, how things are communicated and understand the importance of the people that you have working for you, what their jobs are and their roles. Because we can debate all we want about it. You know, as a club, the golf course is the greatest asset. But there's so many things that people want also. They want a great pool. They want a great restaurant. Well, yeah. You know, all those are important. But when you've got a, a vast majority of the people there to play golf, it's hard to tell them that they need a, to spend this much more money here when they want something out there. So so if I was to maybe roll up and summarize a little bit of what you just said, in this business, conflicts are inherent. Sure. They are going to happen. <laughs> and they might be the conflict between, like we talked about earlier, uh, the owner or the golf pro and the superintendent because they have competing interests. Yep. While they have to be on the same team for the greater good, they just inherently have competing influence interest in in some ways right um but then there's the conflicts that are going to be inherent with members uh members are the ones that are paying dues and Mm -hmm. without a member you know club can't exist we know that um but then some member expectations maybe go a little over the top and everybody's motivation i've done a lot of study just on personality profiles and one of the things that i often go back to is what's your motivation because everybody's motivated by something just a little bit different. And when we can understand what someone's motivation is relative to their own interest in that conflict, it, it tends to shed more light on uh, maybe trying to come up with solutions. Sure. Um, you know, some, some are motivated by the aesthetics and the beauty of the golf course, and others are motivated by, you know, the speed of the greens, and others are motivated by the fact that they just had to write another check for four or $500 dues, and they yeah. didn't have a good experience that day. Right. So what is the motivation? And That's a good point. Knowing that those conflicts are going to happen, um, you said it right, though. I think it's important that the operators, it's really challenging at times for operators or supers to be able to stay down the middle. And, uh, but if they maybe can try to understand the motivation of that person, maybe even call out the person on the motivation at times, listen, you know, respectfully, what's your motivation with your complaint? I've said many times, man, did you, did you have a bad day? What's going on (laughs) in your, what can I help you with? I I mean, literally, I, I, because that's kind of how you diffuse somebody that's coming at you just with this negative energy is, Hey man, what's going on today in your world? I mean, you really upset about that that bunker shot or you know or whatever and and um you know it's it's it, you're right it's it's like you gotta if i if i put up a wall to someone that's doing that to me it just creates negativity and it and it in my instance could could really cost you your job or you know you know a lot of other things and so and because we deal with so many different personalities it you know it's really just being you got to have your wits about you and you got to understand what's going on. And, and if you can diffuse it, diffuse it. And if you can sort of temper it and manage it, then you do. Well, and it goes back to what we talked about too with communication. Sure. So, you know, we said maybe there's opportunities to communicate broadly, but then it's the interpersonal communication. 
um, at the end of the day, any business in my mind is people dealing with people and yep. how we deal with people tends to determine our success. Um, it's easier for some, it's easier yeah. said than done, but it, I think it's true. Yep. All right. So I've got two final questions. Believe it or not, we've, we've been an hour. I say that every time and I just yeah. don't know how it goes that fast, but I'm gonna put you on the spot. Give me, um, give me your top five golf courses that you enjoy playing and uh and let's keep it relative to our market so mm. i'll make you i'll make you keep it to the tennessee area mm. that you not that are the best just that you enjoy playing yeah so it's really just an opinion yeah, okay <laughs> um you know it, not just because we met there but yeah. i've still always thought brentwood country club was just a yeah. really well maintained he's not just but, saying that folks because he well, did say that before anymore, so yeah, i'm not there <laughs> Um, really well maintained, yeah. great greens, fun golf course, great membership. Uh, I, I loved that golf course yep. and the people there. Um, the Grove, I love, but for different reasons. Sure. Uh, some days I don't love it because it's pretty darn hard. <laughs> beat you up. It'll beat you up. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, but it does force you to have um, different shots to play. Of course, golf club, you know, is going to be at the top of anybody's list. Yeah. Um, you know, Legends is so well maintained and so well operated and uh, uh i guess the other just you did put me on the spot but popping into my head uh nashville golf i yeah. think is fun and challenging and uh, those greens are tough um you know those are the ones i guess that come to mind i sure i've probably left a whole bunch of other good ones well we're not trying to alienate anybody yeah. i just you know you get to play a lot of golf and and you would pick i mean we i could probably ask 10 people and they're going to be yeah. right around the same golf course i won't ask you which ones you don't like <laughs> <laughs> well and i would tell you too it just pops into my head uh when you get a little bit outside this market uh, i had the chance to play chattanooga country club who i thought was just yes. awesome uh and sweetens cove i was going to ask you if you'd yeah, played that i have um it's gotten so much love on twitter yeah. and uh understandably and uh what just, did you think about it i I've, I've played it several times and i'm hoping to get um the uh golf course architect Rob Collins on at some point. He doesn't know that yet, but I, he maybe will hear this. And, yeah. But I, I, I've had conversations with him. I spoke to their superintendent on the phone the other day. Um, but I, I, lo I just think it's a fantastic piece of property. It's fun golf. It's different. Yeah. And it, it's just a lot of fun to go down there and play. And just the greens a, are just so interesting. They are such a unique experience. Yeah. Um, the sight lines and the visions, or you know, the the visual perspectives, yep. they're just very different yep. from most golf courses that you'd play. Certainly yep. around here, um, just found it fun to play. And I think if you played it today or tomorrow, you'd see a lot of those holes, depending on where they put the tees and the pins, yep. could be completely different holes. And that's really intelligent by design. Yeah, um, I thought it was great. I saw on Twitter, I think they might have gone to, and I might get corrected on this, but I think they went to a two-pin system. Uh -huh. So could you that. might could yeah. play, I don't know if that's, you can pick a pin, or, but my guess would be you play a certain pin one round and then you play this, the yeah. opposite pin on the back nine or whatever. So I, 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 I love that place, and, uh, and I, man, it's great. Have you been up to Swanee and seen it? No. Yeah, it's another I've good nine-hole course. Not, yeah. yeah. Buddy Tim's up there. He's a he's a good superintendent. Also, I'll put so. that on the list. Yeah, you need to go up there. Um, they got a they have an, you, a cool trip is to play that one and Sweden's Cove because they're not too far from each other. So yeah. that yeah. make it a pretty cool day of it. But you can go see that one. So last question: What do you think about this podcast thing? 
I've I've talked to people in the industry and stuff, and 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 I'm right at around ten episodes, just under. I'm it's grown more than I thought it, it ever could. I'm I'm here to stay. I'm yeah. I'm having the the more I, I wake up and think about the how I can do it better. Some of the content that I'm trying to produce, I'm trying not to be stagnant in that content, and I'm also trying to push towards uh, encouraging guys to come on. And that's been some of the most unique challenges is just say, uh, this this is not self-serving. This is not something I'm trying to do. Um, I really believe in this industry. I'm passionate about it. It's all I've ever known. It's what I have expertise and professionalism in. And I'm just trying to give someone a voice for uh, what I deem is a, an industry that has very little voice. We only get talked about when things go bad. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And it's starting to change. Um, but we still have a 24 hour golf channel and I, I tell me how many times they mentioned the golf course superintendent on there. They might have an ad, but they don't have, there's not a show. There's not a thing dedicated to it. And so I'm trying to change that one, one episode at a time. And there's a, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So I, I mean, I'm interested in your perspective on what you think about the experience and how you can encourage guys to, in our industry to come in, um, take it for a, uh, what it's worth and, and sort of develop some content that can help people because that's ultimately what I'm trying to do yeah. is help young guys, guys in the industry, and also get our voice out there. Well, one of the words you just used was passion, and I think uh, you have that uh, for this podcast, amongst other things that I know that you've been involved with recently, and that passion will carry you through. Uh, I have no doubt for that. Relative to podcast in general, um, you know, I've been listening to yours. I listen to a lot of different podcasts, and it just... The way in which I consume media, podcasts work great sure. for me. Uh, I travel a good bit, uh, whether it's in the car or on an airplane, and so you know I can just download any podcast on my phone. I've got my headphones with me all the time. I work out. Uh, I listen to podcasts while I'm working out, and they're wide and they're varied. Uh, my interests relative yeah. to that, and so you know for the right, for me, podcasts are great. How I consume media, I'm not. I'll read a book, but I don't have, I just, the dust doesn't collect long. <laughs> I'm always moving, so I don't usually have a lot of time unless maybe on a plane to read a book. So podcasts are great. Um, and then it goes back, I guess, just speaking from my experience. Personally, again, it's just another opportunity to try to grow and get better. Yeah. And uh, so that's why I like seeking out different, different podcasts. I've enjoyed some of the guests that you've had on. And uh, I think, you know, frankly, you are in a unique niche, it seems like, with the content that you're trying to bring, because particularly for the green grass side, the superintendent side, and I think it's important how you kind of branch out a little bit beyond that. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot of that out there. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just continue to offer you encouragement. When you asked me to be on, um, I thought, what in the heck do you want to talk to me about? What, <laughs> how can I possibly bring value, uh, which is all I want to be able to do sure. for you and your listeners. Um, I just want to hopefully a few things I've said maybe have meant something of value to somebody out there. And if that's the case, then I'll personally, I'll call it a success. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, uh, just the fact that uh, you're trying to come up with different voices uh, for different perspectives on uh, your industry and those yeah. in your industry, I think it's a cool thing. Well, I appreciate it. The, I think the, 
the possibilities are endless. Uh, what I've always said is that everybody has a story, um, regardless of those individuals that have been in the business or in the industry. Um, and whoever I get to talk to, they always have something different than the next person. And while I won't go too far out of bounds with the sort of the the topic discussion of being in the green industry, I don't want it to be specific specifically golf, although that's what's got me in the door a little bit. Sure, but I I do think the landscaper, the 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 chem, the chemical lawn treatment people, the the designers, the the just the overall green industry as a whole is a lot to offer. And while there's a lot of podcasts out there and there's a lot of information, I'm like you, I listen to, I mean, I, I sort of put music in the back burner now when I'm doing things because I can, I can multitask, I can learn, I can learn, I can hear a particular topic I want to talk about or listen to. And so I find that being very, very, uh, a better way of taking in information. And so when I started this, there's just not a whole lot that I felt like was one, the kind of information that I wanted to hear, or two, I just wanted to offer some more content and be and and give a perspective from somebody in an industry that's just doesn't have a lot out there. So, um, I mean, we always tell our kids chase your passion. Yeah, and uh, you and I aren't kids, but we're no different. And and I see you chasing your passion, and uh, I think it's great. Well, it it really stemmed from. It's, I, I won't go too deep in this, but I was a DJ in high, in college in high, in high school, and I and so I I had all this stuff sitting around, and I listened to podcasts, and I was like, why don't I just start I my own this. podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I got all this stuff. I didn't have to go buy a single thing. I just you know I upgraded some few little things because I'm I'm trying to get better and and do better things. But I said you know why don't I do it? And then it was a matter of hey. Just do it, dummy. I mean, why don't you just do it? I mean, I sat on this thing, this idea for a long time. And the idea behind making the turn is really all that is. Hey, you play nine holes, what do you do? You make the turn. You go to the backside. You, you know, and, and so the idea, and, and I can apply that to life in a lot of different ways. I, I was, you know, I had a job change, and now I'm, that was the first front nine for me and now I'm taking and so I'm applying some of those things and eventually I'd like to get into more topics about you know how how does life look for you in this perspective and do things but to sort of put a bow and I just felt like this this podcast was important and and I wake up thinking about it and, and I hope that people understand that and and of all of all the uh, interviews that I've done I feel like this this information was one that never was going to get touched by anybody and I felt like it was important to sort of tackle. And I know that there's going to be some people out there. We get a lot of downloads, and there's going to be somebody that's going to help. And I, you know, and I, and I fully believe that. That's great. You know, I, I'm a big uh, um, fan of those that make courageous decisions and do courageous things because it's easy not to. Yeah. And uh, that's what I kind of heard you say in that. So I just continue to encourage you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. It was a it was a joy. I think we uh, threw out a lot of good content. You are officially the longest one we've ever done. So, <laughs> um, where can people find you on uh, social media? Um, on Twitter, I'm at, at Patrick Clark 05. You might get some new followers. You may okay. you may not, yeah. but may, uh, lo- may lose a few. Yeah, we'll may see. lose a few. <laughs> you know, never know. But I'll I'll, I'll, I'll push I'll push this out over Twitter, and I'll I'll tag you on it. But uh, 
Man, thank you. Thank you for opening up your home and uh, enjoyed it. And uh, let's play some golf sometime. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, BJ. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is another episode of Making the Turn. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.